the most exclusive travel experiences on the planet, the most celebrated icons in fashion, music, food, and the arts. Welcome to the Tully Luxury Travel Podcast. I think travel opens up the doors to so many different things for us. It's such a force for good. It brings people together. It educates us. It inspires us. Presented by luxury travel expert and the founder of Tully Luxury Travel, Mary Jean Tully, we're going to take you on a journey to the most exclusive travel experiences on the planet. From candlelit dinners in the shadow of world wonders to starlit camps in the heart of the African bush. We had lunch on the Great Wall of China where nobody else was around. And that was just something that was just so momentous. I've done the same thing in Petra, going there with music and lit up with candles. It's a real experience, a very unique experience that is just different from the norm. This is what travel dreams are made of. This is the Tully Luxury Travel Podcast. Luxury can take on so many forms, but here at Tully Luxury Travel, one thing is always true. Luxury is always defined by you. Frank, welcome to Tully Luxury Travel Podcast. You know, with all the podcasts that I've done, you're going to be one of my most favorite because you know how I feel about you personally, but professionally, you are the man, right? So I am so excited to have you on and I want you to talk about cruising. And before we get into that, though, I want other people to learn a little bit about you and how you were introduced to travel and cruising. What got you in this industry? I was minding my own business one day and I got a call from a headhunter who uh, wanted to know whether I was interested in, um, in joining a company up in Fort Lauderdale. I was working as a auditor at the local utility at Florida Power and Light. I'm a CPA by trade. And as you know, or if you, if you, if you ever knew anything about accounting, you know that working as an auditor at a public utility is about the lowest rung of accounting that you can be at. I got this opportunity to go work at Certified Vacations. And I started with them as their chief financial officer because of my financial background. But I learned the business and the owner of Certified Vacations, a gentleman named Ed Rutner, who uh, he and I are still friends to this day. He knows more about travel than than, uh, anybody else. And about two and a half, three years into it, he leaves Certified Vacation because he and some investors bought Renaissance Cruises. And a year after he bought Renaissance, when non-competes and promises not to uh, uh, not to take anyone from his old employer certified, I joined him at Renaissance. And when I got to Renaissance, Renaissance was was nearly bankrupt. But we innovated. We came up with cruise tours where uh, we sold the cruise, the air, the tour, and it, and it things became profitable. And at that point we ordered what today are known as the R-ships. Renaissance ordered eight R-ships. Renaissance grew too quickly. Renaissance went off the deep end. And right after 9-11, Renaissance went bankrupt. Now, the good news, Mary Jean, is I got fired by Renaissance about eight months before they went bankrupt. The French banks that had financed these brand new eight R-ships repossessed them. And when the dust settled, about six, seven months later, I got a call from the French banks wanting to know whether I wanted to start a new cruise line with their support. 
And the first two times they called, I, I said, no, thank you. I sort of blew them away. I dissed them. And the third time this banker, whose name is Guillevier Bigot, called, he said, um, Frank, uh, um, this is Guillevier. I'm outside your house. And I look outside the window and there is Guillevier in the backseat of a taxi. And he says, will you have dinner with me? And I said, of course, Guillevier, you came all this way from Paris. Of course, I'm going to have dinner with you. And so he convinced me to throw my hat in the ring, which I put together a business plan. And I was going up against some heavyweight cruise veterans, people who were CEOs and chairmen or previously CEOs and chairmen of big companies, folks who had a lot more resources than I did. And quite frankly, people who had a better reputation in the cruise industry at that time than I did because of what happened at Renaissance. But lo and behold, because there is a God and miracles do happen, I won. And I won primarily because I had come up with the idea of upper premium. These were very nice vessels, Renaissance vessels. I still operate four of them today mm-hmm. at the Oceana brand, Regatta, Insignia, Nautica, and Serena. And so we launched Oceana in 2000, early 2003, January of 2003. We raised a, a whopping $14 million in equity. I went to friends and family. I mortgaged my house. I borrowed money from my sister. I borrowed money from my parents. I convinced anybody who I'd ever met to take a flyer with me, and we raised $14 million. We opened our doors on January 3, uh, 3rd of 2003. Of our first 20 employees, eight of them were related to me. My son, who was in law school, I pulled him out. He came to work for us. Mm-hmm. Our, my daughter, who had just graduated from college, came. Um, and, and so we, we started the business. Literally, the first day we walked into our rented offices, we didn't have a computer, a stapler, a paper clip. And we knew that we had to start the first cruise six months later. And those were the best six months of my life. But Frank, let me ask, when you were doing all of this, did you have a vision of how you wanted to make, I mean, when when Oceania came out, when you came out with it, it was very unique. And it it was just centered on, I mean, the accommodations, the food. Did you know all this going in or did you kind of like wing it as you went along and fell into it? Well, I knew a couple of things. I knew that a guy with very little money operating one small used ship had literally zero chance against the the Goliaths of the industry. I had to come up with something that I could own. And so I didn't have a whole lot of money. I didn't have any uh, expertise in any one area. But I did know one thing. Everybody loves great food. You might like seafood, I might like steak, somebody else likes French, somebody else likes Italian. So we set out to have the best cuisine at sea. And that was our our calling card, the best cuisine at sea in very, you know, beautiful, uh, small vessels, destination oriented. So great food, great destinations, great service, a formula that can't fail. And it didn't fail. We grew very rapidly. By 2005, we were operating three R ships. And then much to my surprise, Wall Street came calling. We ended up selling Oceana Cruises. Remember, this is a group that started with $14 million. And three years later, we sold uh, 58% of the company to one of the big private equity firms, Apollo, for an enterprise value of $875 million. So it was a very good payday, if you will, for our investors. Amazing. And at that time, we were operating, I believe it was uh, six... Nine, 10 vessels, and we sold what we called Prestige Cruise Holdings, which was the company that owned Ocean and Regent, we sold to Norwegian. And we sold that to Norwegian for $3.3 billion. 
in November of 2014. And so I, in essence, was was without a job. And that was fine. I had just turned 60. I had another big payday in my pocket. And it was sayonara. <laughs> and that's the way it was for about six weeks. From mid-November through January 1st at 10 o'clock at night, New Year's Day, I got a call. And uh, it was one of the board members that wanted to know whether I was in town. And I said, yes. And he said, well, can I come see you tomorrow? I said, sure. They said, you got to come back and run not only the two brands that you just sold to Norwegian, but you got to run Norwegian. And they said, you've got an hour because the press release goes out at noon announcing all this. Wow. And so here I am. Um, a lot of it is uh, luck. A lot of it is uh, serendipity. A lot of it was hard work. But I, I've had it an enchanted run. It's been almost 30 years since I joined Renaissance in 1993. Oceana will celebrate its 20th anniversary next year. And I mean, who doesn't love being in the cruise industry? It's, uh, it's wonderful. I remember I didn't have the pleasure of knowing you during the Renaissance days. We had never met. But I remember when I met you on the first Oceana cruise and you literally, your wife and some of your grandkids were in their suite and you said to me, I didn't know that any of them were in their suite. Come on, I want to show you everything. You took me in with your family, like in the room. You took me all around the ship, personally showed me everything. And you were so proud. You were like beaming. And I looked at you and I thought, and, and I didn't even know all of this history and about all of your background, but I saw a man with so much passion. I remember you showed me a garbage bin, something about the garbage bin that had like stainless steel or something. You were talking to me about the stainless steel in this bin. And then the next thing, you're talking about the Jacques Pepin restaurant and the Bulgari soaps and everything that you were doing. And then I found out you're just this guy from Havana, Cuba, who came up as a kid and moved to the States. Look what you've done. Look at, I mean, would you tell the story about coming from, from Cuba, please? Because I think that's part of who you are. I was born in Havana. My dad and my mom uh, lived uh, a great middle-class life in Havana. My dad was the controller of Coca-Cola, the Havana plant. And when the Bay of Pigs invasion failed, we had to leave town. And so I remember we, we left on August 22nd, 1961 on a BOAC charter flight to Jamaica that had been chartered by a synagogue in Havana. And uh, we were there uh, uh, among that group, I, I still have my yarmulke from, from that trip. And um, we stayed in, in Jamaica for about uh, six days. The Army Corps of Engineers sent a plane from Miami with American passports and we became instant American citizens. Back then it was very different. <laughs> my dad had, had helped or was involved, I should say, with the counter-revolutionaries that were backed by the CIA in trying to overturn Fidel and when the when the failed Bay of Pigs invasion came, and like I said, it failed, it was time to leave Havana. And so we ended up in New Britain, Connecticut, because my father had a brother and a sister, my uncle and my aunt, who had left Havana in the late 1950s. And we thought we were gonna be there maybe three, four weeks. And I, I lived there for 10 years before we moved to Miami. Wow. Yeah, so we moved to Miami right before 10th grade. So I get to this school, and I don't know a single person, Mary Jean. You know, I just moved down from Connecticut. I can barely speak Spanish because in New Britain, Connecticut, you only, you know, speak English. And so I go to uh, first day of class in 10th grade, first period, algebra two class. And it was a real, rather large class. And I'm always late in the morning. You tell me to show up at seven, I show up at 7.05. You tell me to show up at 11, I show up at 11.05. <laughs> and so I'm late. And uh, I walk into this class, there's only two empty seats. One is next to a guy and one is next to a girl. So I sat next to the girl. 
And uh, I went back Tuesday. When by Thursday, I figured out three things. She's pretty good looking. She does her homework every night, and most importantly, she lets me copy it every morning. <laughs> so I ended up marrying Marsha, and we went through high school together. We went through college together. We were both accounting majors. And uh, we lived happily ever after. We have uh, two children, Frank Jr., who's now the, the chief sales and marketing officer at, at Oceana, and uh, my daughter, Christy, who, who retired from Oceana so that she can take care of my three grandkids. And that's the story. And it's such a beautiful story. One thing I do want to ask you, Frank, you know, you're a very strong personality. You're a very passionate man, which has made you successful. But how do you inspire innovation in your team? Like, how do you, how does somebody get the balance working with Frank Del Rio? Like, do you let them make their own mistakes? How, how do you do it? Well, first of all, we tell them that we encourage mistakes because if you don't make mistakes, that means you're not taking enough chances. I agree. But, you know, we talk sensible to, to, to folks. We, we say, look, you can't always have bad ideas and always lose you, you know it's okay to lose every once in a while but ultimately you have to win and i'll tell you what i tell my grandkids you can't win them all you just have to win the big ones and we show folks young people that come into the business the examples of how we have led the industry in different areas and how we took a chance and we innovated i'll give you an example i know that you are a big regent seven seas seller so when the 2008-2009 recession came, right, the only thing the cruise industry knows how to do is to lower prices in order to increase demand. And I said, we're not going to do that at Regent. Regent is a luxury brand and you don't discount a luxury product. It'll never recover. Right. So instead of lowering prices, we added more value, a better deal. And we came up with what we refer to as Fuse. F-U-S-E, free unlimited shore excursions. People thought I was crazy. Nobody can afford to offer free unlimited shore excursions. To this day, it is one of the key differentiators for Regent Seven Seas. It is the most all-inclusive cruise product, as you know, probably the most all-inclusive vacation product, period. I think it's imperative to run a smooth company that, you know, it, it all starts at the top, you know, and goes down. And the amount of respect that your employees have for you, to me, is just, it, it just says it all. Well, thank you. You're so welcome, but you're well-deserved. But the thing that I really want to speak on, you know, being um, in the cruise industry for so many years, in fact, right now, this week, June 1st, is my 35th anniversary of being open. And we still have the first employee we ever hired and many more. And, and so we're really proud of that accomplishment. So cruising for me has always been a very, very special thing. And when I look at what you did, you helped lead the cruise industry through this pandemic. And Frank, never in our wildest dreams did any of us think that anything like this could happen to any of us, let alone go on for as long as it did. And when I look at, you know, the approach that you took, much stronger than anybody else, you know, people can laugh and say, oh, you know, he's, that, he's got that Latin passion, whatever the hell you had, <laughs> it really worked. Yeah. And you made such a big difference in our industry. And I love and respect you so much for that. But how can we use your experience or this experience that you had to navigate us through the future on this? How, how do you see it right now? You know, um, I think we're still fighting through the pandemic. I think the scientists will tell you that it's so widespread now that it has become endemic. But nevertheless, it's still to some degree in people's psyche. It is decreasing. 
Luckily, the news cycle has moved on to inflation and recession and yes. Ukraine war, which isn't good either for for business. But I think for the most part, it's now taken a, a backseat. And I see sequentially, I see how our bookings are sequentially. And as you know, the cruise business is such that people book way in advance. And so we have clear vision as to what consumers are thinking, not just next week, next month, next quarter, but next year. And uh, I will tell you is what I've told you know Wall Street in our last earnings call, we're better booked today for 2023 than we were at this time in 2018 for 2019 and 19 was a record year, both in load and in pricing. So there is pent up demand, people wanna go, Well, one other thing I wanted to run by you, the one thing that I just, as a large cruise supplier, as you know, and a full believer in the value of a cruise, the one thing that I would love to see the industry, our industry, the cruise industry, get the message across more, because single-handedly, our agency tries to do this as much as we can, is we all know that, you know, you and I spoke about it when we did a webinar a few weeks ago, how the prices in Italy, like hotel rooms, are double and triple the price what they were before. People can't get help. They're having to pay more help. The prices are out of this world. Yet a cruise still represents the absolute best value, the testing, the care, what people get on board. And if somebody does have it on board the ship, how you handle it is done far better than any hotel. I don't care whether it's Italy, France, or Spain. And I think we, as an industry, need to get that message out more. I think you're absolutely right, Mary Jean. You know, there's always been a value gap. One of the reasons why the cruise industry has grown as fast as it has, why it's as successful as it is, is because it's a hell of a deal. Mm-hmm. You, you go on a cruise for seven days, 10 days, you pack and unpack once, all your meals are included, transportation, entertainment, you know the story. Yeah. Today, with the supply chain issues, the labor issues, you know, the labor issues is not just US or Canada, it's worldwide. Right. You, you go to hotels in Italy or in France and UK, and they're not as well staffed. No. The restaurants, the, the waits are longer because they're not well staffed. Well, we don't have that issue in the cruise industry, thank God. And 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 so our pricing, while I said a minute ago, are up above 2019, they're nowhere near the increase that you're seeing. So a cruise vacation is the way to go. You're safer than, than anywhere else. You know, everyone on board the cruise ship, every crew member is vaccinated and boosted in the case of our ships. Uh, 100% of folks on board Ocean and Regent are vaccinated customers, 95% above it uh, at Norwegian because we allow children under the age of 12 to come on board unvaccinated. So you're safer, you get better service, you see the world, pack and unpack once, and it's a better deal, a lower price. I believe that by the end of this year, beginning of next year, we will be at pre-pandemic full run rate, and then it's going to be fantastic. And so I will tell you that more important than ever, we got to book early. You know, 2024 is already booking like crazy. I agree. Frank, let me ask you another question. With all your travels, I mean, I know little things about you that a lot of people don't know. Like, I know you're not a big fan of flying. No. I know. And I know you've gotten around it. I never am either. And I just came back from Africa um, a week ago and it took me 39 hours to get home. I mean, it was like insane. But if I didn't have medication, 
I, I, I don't know what I would have done. And in fact, the flight attendant, when I flew from South Africa, I flew from Cape Town to New York and it was a 14 and a half hour flight. The flight attendant came up to me at the end and she goes, please tell me what you're taking because I've never seen anybody sleep so long on a plane. I said, <laughs> I want to just be knocked out, right? But it doesn't stop me from traveling and I know it doesn't stop you. And I remember when you first did your uh, call when the ship was going on to Cuba and you said, you know, I want to be sitting right in the front, right at, right in the bow of the ship when we approach Cuba, because it would have such meaning to you. Where Where is a place for you on your bucket list that you'd love to go either with the kids, I mean, or with, with Marsha or by yourself? Where is it that you would love to go that you haven't been or back to? You know, I love going back to Cuba. I believe it or not, I've only been to Havana. Um, I've not been to the rest of the country. I would like to see the rest of the country. But if you ask me, Frank, you've got a week to live on this earth. Where do you want to spend that week? Uh, it'd have to be the south of France, Capri, Positano, Amalfi. Yeah. I love Italy. I love the south of France. I love Palma. I love Ibiza. And so, yeah, I'm going to be in Venice uh, at the end of July to pick up our new ship. And from there, we're going to go to Barcelona for a few days and then go to Palma for a few days. Mm. But you're right. You know, I, I'm I'm a bit of a homebody, but of course, I also love to spend time on our ships. And I'm looking forward to Norwegian Prima this summer. Yes, me too. From Reykjavik, Iceland. It's a seven-day cruise. We're going to go to uh, Cork, Ireland. We're going to go to Portland, UK to see Stonehenge and Salisbury, the Bath. We're going to go to Le Havre so folks can see Normandy beaches or spend a day in Paris. We go to Zabruge. We end up in Amsterdam. And then, of course, you know, Katy Perry is going to be the godmother and she's going to have a great performance on board. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, even though we've all been through hell and back, um, as so many people have these past two and a half years, I know I personally have never lost my passion for what we do. I've learned about maybe thinking twice before I spend some money right now. And, you know, there was a very unfortunate incident when a major cruise line um, went out of business. Um, which we all know. And, and I want to say that uh, you were the first cruise line that really came to bat for us, for our, for our clients and, and, and trying to do everything that you could to accommodate. And Jason Montague, you know, for those that don't know um, the president, you know, it's on a weekend. And him, myself, uh, Ida, Kelly from my office, all trying to make everything work to accommodate our guests. And you know, I really believe in life that everything is about relationships. We all know this. And the relationship that we've had with all of you over the years and how professional and you're a company that runs with so much integrity, that to me means everything to me and to all of us. This is a relationship business. And having had, uh, you know, the experience that I had with Renaissance, although I was not there, as you know, as I told you, I was I was fired eight months before Renaissance went bankrupt. But I know what happened at Renaissance and the pain that it caused uh, agents, consumers, anything I can do to help now with when that cruise line went out of business and how, how it affected counselors, how it affected consumers. I just had to be there for them. And uh, and I and I hear that they love Cruising on Regent, they, they love cruising on Oceana. Oh, they do. Um, I think there's uh, one one guest who has now booked 26 cruises on Regent. Um, that is a, a former guest of, uh, of the other brand. But look, 
I still run this business as if this was Frankie's Cruises. You know, it's still entrepreneurial. It's still my business. Yeah. Uh, I don't care if it's a big publicly traded company and it pays off, Mary Jean. You know, you don't that. Yes, we're 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 for profit organization and we do we do very, very well. We lead the industry in, in yields. We lead the industry in return on invested capital on gross margin. But you want long term customers. You want long term relationships and treating people well when the chips are down, when things are not going well, that's what creates a brand. Yes. And so I do believe that the way that our companies behaved with counselors, behaved with their guests, behaved with our own employees and our vendors during the pandemic showed what kind of people we are. And I think our brands will be held in higher esteem post the pandemic than even before the pandemic. And so I'm very proud of that. No, and you should be, Frank. And I think that was one of the things that endeared me to you a long time ago. I mean, you and I have had many conversations and, you know, I approach the same thing as, like I said, right from the very beginning. And I still look at stuff, you know, um, our employees to me are first and foremost, the most important, my client second and my suppliers third, only because if my employees are happy, my clients are going to be happy and therefore the suppliers will be happy. And, you know, you want to follow suit and deal with people who feel the same way. And I remember during the pandemic, I could pick up the phone and call you and say, okay, you know, what do you think of this and that? And here, you know, they were a competitor, but you'd give me some sound advice. You were just always honest and direct. But The one thing could you just touch base on, because of the fact when, and I can say the name, when Crystal Cruises went under, you know, from the financial stability point, can you just touch base on where your company is as far as if people have to worry about financial stability? No, look, it's something that you shouldn't have to think about. You shouldn't have to worry about. Right. But uh, when something like Crystal happens, you you have to take stock of, of the financial prowess. I will tell you that from the bottom of my heart, no consumer should be worried about booking any of the brands that are owned by Carnival Corporation, Royal Caribbean Corporation, or Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings because we're publicly traded companies. Our financial statements, financial results, anyone can see. There's no hidden agendas. The pandemic was tough on us. We all had to raise billions of dollars. In our case, we had to raise $8 billion dollars to stay afloat because this is a fixed cost business. I had to maintain the vessels. I had to maintain our our crew and our personnel. As you know, Mary Jean, we continued marketing throughout the the pandemic because we never knew when we were going to start again. And uh, the booking curve is long and and you always have to be in the market. Right. And we needed to support our, our, our travel counselors. We had to support the communities that we visited. You know, Alaska the coastal communities of Alaska depend on cruising for 60% of their livelihood. And they went two years without any livelihood. And so I felt compelled to help them. We cut a check for $10 million in cash and it went to $2 million a piece to five of these communities in Alaska that we visit to help them, to help the single mothers put food on the table to pay for their utilities, to pay for medical bills for people who lost their insurance because they lost their jobs during the pandemic. We, we couldn't let that happen. My goodness, what a great story. I didn't know this. Well, I didn't. This we, is amazing. We, we didn't want to publicize it. I'm almost embarrassed that I told you about it, but we, no one, you know, we don't do it for publicity. We did it because it was the right thing to do. And you are a model 
for the the travel agent community the way that you stayed in business you kept your group you kept booking and of course we all had to kick the can down the road because the cdc kept you know shutting us down but uh, you're you're a model for 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 the success of the industry and i wish everyone was like you you know i tell i tell my team i tell my my grandkids every generation has a war yeah just the way it is and this is our war and we're winning it and we're going to come out ahead after every war there is a period of prosperity like there's never been you know remember the roaring 20s after the world war 1 the 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 great surge in yeah. american wealth in the 50s and 60s following world war 2 and i i sense that uh it's going to be like this after uh this pandemic there may be a little bit of a bump in the road now because of inflation and and what's happening with interest rates but I, i'll tell you the uh the future is is bright I think for society as a whole and uh for us in the travel business. Well, that's music to my ears, Frank. And um I just I really on on any kind of closing arguments, not arguments, closing things that I'd like to say is thank you. Thank you for being there for our industry and may you never ever retire. Or when you <laughs> retire, I hope it's the same time when I retire because I can't imagine being in this industry without you. I really can't, my friend. Well, thank you. that just about wraps up our time here today. If you want to find out more information about luxury travel experiences mentioned in this show or how Tully Luxury Travel can make your travel dreams come true, please go to tullyluxurytravel.com. We understand that every client is different. That's why each itinerary we create is unique and handcrafted to your wishes. True luxury for us means using our expert local knowledge to go beyond your expectations and make sure the time you spend with us is the time of your life. That's the Tully promise. That's luxury defined by you. Today's interview was hosted by Mary Jean Tully, the CEO and founder of Tully Luxury Travel and produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry. I'm Aaron Miller. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.